0: Welcome to Dangerously Likely. I'm Caleb. And I'm Terrell. And today, we're Dangerously Likely to talk about the culture wars.
1: Let's go above the fold with this week's headlines. So, West Virginia Senator
0: Joe Manchin once said, that his last campaign for Senate was the 2018 campaign. But now he is saying, quote, you never know when it comes to 2024. Power is a hell of a thing. (laughs) Manchin only won his last election by 3% compared with the 24% he won by in 2012. Terrell, Joe Manchin undoubtedly knows the kind of influence he has in the Democratic Party right now. Do you think it is a good thing that he could be potentially running again?
1: You already know the answer to that. Do not I? even because not even because it's Cinder um, Mansion. We need to get rid of all the old people. I'm sorry, <laughs> that might be considered ageist, but our congressional delegations have out aged the population they serve. They claim to be working in their best interests, and I think this story is a great example of it. Um, but only working in the best interest for their constituents when they see it as something that'll get them elected. We aren't getting new ideas. We aren't getting the rejuvenization that legislation should be getting because we have individuals like this who, Oh, I'll probably be out in, um, 2018 and then something goes their way. And they're like, "Ah, I could probably win one more. No, it's not good. Not because of him as a Senator, but because of the principle of the matter. Same reason why, even though I love Nancy Pelosi and I'm happy she's Speaker, she wasn't supposed to be Speaker this term. She
0: wasn't supposed to be, but I'm not necessarily mad about
1: it. No, I'm not mad about it at all, but I'm I'm frustrated that we don't have other options, right? We don't yeah. have that. And I mean, speaking from a Democratic strategy standpoint, you know the next round of elections for the Senate are going to be very difficult. Um, 2022 is going to be rough as a midterm and 2024 is going to be a hell of a one. So do you kind of want Manchin to stay? Yeah, because it's almost a sure bet that you at least keep one of your seats.
0: Yeah, yeah. I agree with you on on kind of the Senate is, or Congress really in general is too old sentiment. I um, I actually don't think it's a bad thing if he wants to run again. Um, I think everyone looks at Manchin as like this moderate, pretty center mm-hmm. uh, Democrat that eh, – people who don't pay attention every day probably sees Joe Manchin holding up all this stuff and gets frustrated. Yeah. And first of all, I don't think that's realistic. Second of all, if you're frustrated with it, we still would want Manchin to win in a red state.
1: Yeah.
0: Right. Um, So if he runs again in 2024 and wins, that's awesome. We still keep a seat in the Senate Mm -hmm. that might otherwise be a Republican seat.
1: Unless he taps an heir apparent, which we all know he won't do. Yeah.
0: Um, If you're mad that Joe Manchin is the one with influence in the Senate, then I think that you should um, try very hard to get other uh, uh, seats flipped in the Senate to blue.
1: Um, Easier said than done. Oh,
0: completely, yeah. Completely. But like we need all the seats we can get.
1: No, absolutely. And again, like I said, it's this isn't a frustration on the mansion piece. And, and like you mentioned, yeah, there's there's an importance to the fact that even though he only won by 3%, he won by 3% in West Virginia. That when you adjust is like 10 still. Uh, yeah. I just I want to see more Ozovs in the yes. Senate. I want to see more individuals closer to our age range who are willing to to take the initiative. And I'm saying this on both sides. Again, I might not agree with my conservative counterparts who are of similar age, but there is still a commonality that a lot of younger conservatives recognize that climate change is an issue and it's mm-hmm. something that we have to worry about. They might want to focus on it more from a business lens than I personally would, but there is this this need for the mansion generation to really let let go of the guard. It's not like when they retire they lose their health insurance or something. They still get paid. Like there there is no incentive other than notoriety and fame to stay in the Senate as long as a lot of our um, Congress folk have. What's happening in the world, Terrell? Tunisia is in political turmoil as President Ka Said um oust the country's prime minister and suspends parliament with military support per the associated press late last sunday president side um, invoked emergency powers to allow for what many are starting to call a coup Um, on monday troops surrounded the parliament to block the speaker from coming in to speak and we're seeing a lot of this tension stem from a stagnant economy and some mismanagement from um, COVID response by the government the G20 um, is having some road bumps as they talk about climate, as the world's 20 largest economies find challenges in the target date of 2025 to phase out fossil fuel subsidies. Um, from Reuters, many are looking to October for some clarity around where the initiatives are going to head, how the G20 is really going to tackle climate, um, especially as a lot of emerging economies are finding and resisting This idea that um, subsidies for coal and fossil fuels must be um, removed. And finally, um, I feel like I brought up the Pope a lot since we've been doing the world leads, but...
0: Big Pope guy over here. He
1: he says some interesting things. I'm intrigued. Um, Per AP, the Pope is helping to build on some warnings um, that the chief of the UN has been signaling as we look to conflicts and climate and how they've drived Um, inequalities globally. Specifically, the Pope has called the existence of such hunger criminal to basic rights. Um, A quote that comes from the UN security general says, poverty, income inequality, and the high cost of food continue to keep healthy diets out of the reach of some 3 billion people. Climate change and conflicts are both consequences and drivers for this catastrophe. Um, And I'm really intrigued and and excited that we're starting to have some of these more uh, intergovernmental and higher level conversations as it relates to what needs to be happening in the world as we look to not only climate change, but inequality, um, globally speaking. And it's always interesting when a religious leader steps in and kind of says, yeah, this is morally wrong and we should do something about it. And we'll be right back.
0: And we're back. Today we're going to talk about a multitude of stories that all share the Republican theme of culture
1: and political wars. I would just like to point out that I'm not the one who shared all these stories in the group chat this time. It was Caleb. No, you shared (laughs) I shared one one of them. I shared one. Don't try to put this on me again.
0: Well, we're going to start with the one that Terrell did share with us. <laughs> and that is the uh, the Ben and Jerry story about the recent decision to no longer sell its ice cream in Israeli-occupied uh, areas. So, kind of to explain the story, Ben and Jerry's decided to no longer sell ice cream in Israeli settlements in occupied Palestinian territory. I believe that decision actually takes effect in 2023, so in about 18 months. Mm-hmm. Um, the Israeli government then made a special task force to garner a protests and boycotts of Ben and Jerry's in the U.S. through their diplomats. This seems to have worked a little bit because Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and Texas Governor Greg Abbott have come out and already stated that they will be looking to sanction the company for doing this. Ron DeSantis has already urged the State Board of Administration of Florida to put the ice cream company on its scrutinized companies that boycott Israel list. And wants to up and wants updates on its status like every day, like immediately. So, a little bit of context, first of all. First, Israeli settlements in Palestinian occupied territories are actually not recognized um, according to international law; they're Fair illegal, mm-hmm. um, and most of the world uh, sees it that way. A human watchdog group actually just came out and has found that Israel may have committed war crimes against Palestinians um, in that bout of violence that we had a few months ago.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And the founders of Ben and Jerry's are both Jewish and are not boycotting all of Israel, just the illegal occupations in Palestinian territories. Terrell, first of all, <laughs> I know that like we're doing stories right now that kind of go into our broad theme of like Republican culture wars and whatnot. Yeah. And one of the shifts in the culture wars and the political... I don't know chaos that they want to create. Is that anything that you do, that anytime you criticize Israel or whatnot, something like that, you're mm-hmm. automatically an anti-Semite? Yeah,
1: it's also really funny that Ben and Jerry is owned by individuals who practice that faith. So and definitely support Israel. But yeah. So does that make not necessarily all their actions? Does that make Ron DeSantis and Abbott anti-Semites? Ooh, turn the table a little bit.
0: <laughs> I mean, what do you what do you make of this situation?
1: Stupid. It's stupid. i like I don't why
0: are individual states doing this? That's the dumbest thing I've ever look, heard.
1: Look at uh, not to deviate from the the They're main not the topic fucking
0: here. US, it's Florida.
1: Why did Idaho, the state of Idaho, send the National Guard to Texas for the border? Like it's the same performative action. It's this is performative um Political allyship. Moving, that's just stupid. No, it's performative allyship on steroids and sprinkle it with all the negative things that you don't want in it, right? Um, I don't, it's dumb. It's stupid. They, and we already know DeSantis is an idiot. Like, I I don't even want to delve into time and explanation of how we know this, but he's never really governed in a way that has been educated because he follows after his Supreme Leader, Donald J. Trump. Um, (laughs) But this is, it's just performative. And he knows that there are people in the base who, for whatever reason, thinks that, any disagreement with the state of Israel is the next attempt to make some egregious attack on the faith of Judaism. And it's just not fair. It's not accurate. And it's, it's disrespectful. And, and I could just go on with (laughs) ants and, and, and and, and. and, and. I just, (laughs) it's very, it's very annoying. And we were just talking about this before we hopped on air. Um, it's one of those moments where I think my opening statement is how the media narrative should be here. Like, it shouldn't be that they are boycotting them and they are making all these efforts and putting the onus on Ben and Jerry for what I would argue is a decent decision. It should be a real question of, well, why are they getting rid of this Jewish owned company? That is arguing against Israeli policies. Are they the anti-Semites in the conversation? Do I think we're going to go that far? No, because that's, that can put some risk on media agencies, if I'm being honest. But it's that type of push that I think we need from from higher ups, from leaders, from this, this country of we can't keep just doing performative things and then being shocked when they happen. Like, oh, I couldn't believe they did that.
0: Like you can be pro-Israel. Mm-hmm. And not agree with all the decisions that that government makes.
1: Just like you can love America and not agree with every decision America's ever made.
0: Exactly. I, and it's just, I don't know. It. It's just so, it's so like frustrating, I guess. I don't even know if I have a word for it. It's just, it makes my head hurt thinking that like individual states are like going to sanction a company because they don't agree with a country across the world's mm-hmm. um, move to do something. Like get over yourself. You're not that cool. <laughs> also, we got to remember that Ron DeSantis is gonna is like a 2024 hopeful after Trump because of his record on COVID,
1: which is which is literally bad. so bad. And also, <laughs> it's not good. The reason we have to talk about the Delta variant so consistently because Florida's seen record highs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I do question though, Caleb. Do you? The intent of what Ben and Jerry did was to call out and point out um the injustices that are happening in these settlements. Mm-hmm. But now that we're we're having these conversations, it's being played up, do you think that we're seeing that message and that intent be lost? Like are you think do you feel like the intent of Ben and Jerry to highlight um Palestinian settlements and highlight those people is now being lost to this broader conversation about idiots?
0: Um, I truly don't know in terms of uh, Americans that it changes anything because I think that, um, people who have a deep understanding of is, is real and what they've been doing with Palestinians, um, are going to see this and be like, good for Ben and Jerry's. And I think that people who think that Israel should take over everything, um, are going to see this and go, yeah, sanction them. Ben and Jerry's bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, the right has probably not been in Jerry's bad for a long time because they're known for their advocacy. Yes.
2: Um,
0: so I don't know if it changes anything here. I wonder if it changes something in Israel. I have no idea what the politics around um, people who live in that area in, in these settlements uh, think about this mm-hmm. um, or just the regular um, Israeli people. I don't. I don't know. I. I would imagine that the the little bit of change may be if Ben and Jerry sparks a larger uh, kind of boycott of the illegal, um, illegally occupied territories from other companies too, and mm-hmm. makes it just not as nice to live there as the people who moved there thought it would be. Yeah, and maybe that'll spark a change. Obviously, this happened last week, so I don't know if. We have, a, we have a while to go to see. I also think that it's interesting. Like we're talking about like Texas in Florida doing this stuff, which is mm-hmm. just such an overreaction. Um, so dramatic. Oh my gosh. Um, but something that is interesting about this story is that the Israeli government is like actively trying to, mm-hmm. they're 18 months before Ben and Jerry's officially pulls out 2023. And they are actively trying to get people like Ron DeSantis and Greg Abbott to basically attack Ben and Jerry's and pressure them into yeah. staying. I hope it doesn't work, but it's it's really interesting to see that the Israeli government is doing
1: stuff like that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, one follow-up to that, too. So for our listeners in context, historically, the United States has had a two-state policy when it came to Middle East relations and peace with these specific nations. Under the Trump administration, we made a shift – to not overtly say that we favored a two um, state solution, argue that it's there, but almost seem like we're open to a one state solution for the first time in US um, Israeli policy history. Do you think that, one, seeing this type of covert operation, which it is, um, even if it's in the out front and we know that it's happening, it's still a covert operation to get diplomats to change US policy? Um, Do you think this complicates uh, a Biden administration's handling of Israeli politics of any type of maneuver towards a peace deal? especially if this government is looking to go back to our historic policy of a two state solution, when you have Texas, Florida, feel comfortable throwing a couple other states on there, even though they haven't said it yet, Kansas being one of them. When you start seeing the states break up and kind of say, "Well, we don't, we no longer agree with the government's foreign policy," so does this start to complicate any uh, maneuvers for them?
0: Yes, but I don't know if it complicates necessarily who Israel's going to listen to. They might know who to make it. They, they, the Israeli government seems to know how to make it perhaps complicated for the U S federal government Mm -hmm. with their diplomats and their strategy. They're doing it right now with Ben and Jerry's, right? Yeah. Um, States doing their own foreign policy in kind of, I think succeeding is probably an intense word, but it's kind of what it fucking feels like, Mm -hmm. Um, from the federal government in doing so. I mean we've kind of seen stuff like this before. We've seen individual senators do things without telling
1: the White House and stuff and yeah. there was a delegation that flew to Israel under Trump that was trying to form a different peace policy than his administration was supporting.
0: Yeah, I think that like what is um could be worrisome about now is that it just seems like Republicans don't care what they do, don't care about the norms anymore. And so them doing this on a level we've never seen before seems uh, like it's definitely possible. I don't know if it'll happen or not, but we'll see Mm -hmm. this, this issue hasn't like blown up too much. Yeah. Like maybe if a lot of other American companies start to boycott um, that area of the settlements then maybe something crazy happens, but
1: yeah. And I, I mean, I think in the topic and the the overall theme of we're seeing this platform platform is a stretch. We're seeing this narrative be set by the present GOP where it is very um, identity politics, culture focus. And I, I guess for me, that concern still resonates to of you have the state of Idaho saying the national guard to make a ploy to say, Oh, we're, supporting the border and we're trying to save our country we're saving texas blah 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 blah. so when you start seeing these pieces I, I don't think we're to this space but it does become complicated for an administration to really say that we're fighting as the united states when there's a lot of this disjointment happening at the same time yeah so
0: Let's switch gears to a couple political stories.
1: Um, Ooh, my favorite.
0: (laughs) Same. (laughs) Um, The Republican House Freedom Caucus has requested the House Minority Leader, Kevin McCarthy, to remove Nancy Pelosi from her position as Speaker of the House. This comes after. We
1: predicted this, but we picked the wrong person.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I know. This comes after Pelosi booted two of the Minority Leader's chosen Republicans from the January 6th Select Committee, um, the committee that's going to look at the Mm insurrection. Pelosi vetoed Jim Jordan and Jim Banks, both representatives from this for this. She vetoed them from the select committee for reason that they have both peddled the big election lie and could be potentially considered as actual material witnesses to the events that led to the January sixth attack on the Capitol. Yep. McCarthy, after this, responded by removing all his picks from the committee, and that left Liz Cheney, who Pelosi appointed as the only Republican on the committee, and. Side note that my frustration with media narratives on this is the narrative is kind of, oh, only Democrats are in this. No, there's a Republican in there. It's bipartisan still. Yeah, there's there's still two. Um, Or no, there's potentially two. Adam Kissinger. He accepted. Oh, that just thanks, Terrell, for being my news guy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So here are some remarks from Liz Cheney on McCarthy's decision to pull all his picks off the select committee.
2: Today, the Speaker objected to two Republican members. She accepted three others. She objected to two, one of whom may well be a material witness to events that led to that day, that led to January 6th. The other who disqualified himself by his comments in particular over the last 24 hours demonstrating that he is not taking this seriously. He is not dealing with the facts of this investigation, but rather viewed it as a political platform. This investigation must go forward. The idea that anybody would be playing politics with an attack on the United States Capitol is despicable and is disgraceful. And I am absolutely dedicated and committed to making sure that this investigation holds those accountable who did this and ensures that it never happens again. And the American people deserve that, and that is what we're going to do. And
0: also, McCarthy, of course, wants to become Speaker next year. Do you think that he deserves to be Speaker in the aftermath of his actions here?
2: Uh, I think that any uh, person who would be third in line to the presidency must demonstrate a commitment to the Constitution and a commitment to the rule of law. Uh, And uh, Minority Leader McCarthy has not done that.
0: Terrell, has this series of events surprised you? And what does McCarthy's decision to pull all his Republicans off the committee say about the Republican Party strategy?
1: That they don't have one. (laughs) That Actually, I take that back. And I'm forming this thought while we're in this moment. So listeners, bear with me. Caleb, bear with me. I think what this signals to me is McCarthy was paying attention when John Boehner was speaker and recognize that the Freedom Caucus, formerly known as the Tea Party, had a lot of power in setting a narrative and where they wanted individuals to be. And Paul Ryan, because of his age, because of his his willingness to not get involved in identity politics, but to stop anything that the Obama administration would do, became a person that they could ban around. And I think we've We've been looking at this from an interesting perspective of, well, McCarthy is obviously the leader. They elect him every year, this and that. But when you look at McCarthy's record and some collaborations he's had in the past, he might not have always been a natural fit. He might have been more like a a Boehner versus a Ryan who could just make it. And he's in a a space right now where I would argue he's trying to play up his Ryan side. I'm not going to agree to anything that Nancy Pelosi says. Anything the administration brings up is inherently flawed and we can't allow it. And he's becoming this talking piece. And maybe I'm giving him too much credit. Again, bear with me. Thought of this in the moment. But maybe he's playing a strategy here of not so much what makes the most sense politically for the caucus, but what makes the most sense to keep me in this position, especially knowing there's a chance I can be speaker next year or next during the midterms. I think what frustrates me about this
0: situation is it's like, I feel like it's very easy for Democrats right now to like formulate a message around McCarthy's decision and what they are trying to do with this committee. Mm -hmm. And I don't feel like we're hearing anything that much.
1: I think it exists. I just don't think
0: people care. Maybe not, but I just, I'm not sure if we're hearing it from all the voices that we need to hear it from as much as the narrative is already, oh, now Pelosi, now it's, Now it's a partisan commission. This is devastating for Pelosi and the Democrats. And it's like, no, the Capitol was attacked. There is Republicans on the committee still, just not Kevin McCarthy's picks. Mm -hmm. Um, It's bipartisan. And they're going to get to the bottom of this. I'm actually glad that Pelosi kind of put her foot down.
1: 100%.
0: No material fucking witnesses should be trying to find the truth of what happened that day. I just think that I just think that the narrative is already bad for Democrats when and I just don't feel like I've heard a response from Democrats, like actually putting out a good message about what they're doing
1: here. So in that clip that we played, though, if you think it was it was either shortly after it or maybe it was a little bit before. I think that Liz Cheney did an amazing job of speaking to just what you did. Right. She called out and she said very plainly. If the Republicans really wanted this to be a bipartisan um, investigation and and movement, they had their opportunity. It passed the House, it went to the Senate, and McCarthy worked with um, Senator McConnell and and killed it in the Senate. So they, I I agree. I think the Democrats aren't necessarily saying anything. They are. I mean, if you follow any major Democrat on Twitter, they post all the things and they're highlighting all the things. But I do think there's some strategy here of no one's really caring about us saying this. But when you hear Liz Cheney, granted, it resonates more with, I think, the progressives and and, well, it resonates more with people who lean a little left. When you hear Liz Cheney come out and say they had their chance, I'm not leaving just because they want to throw a temper tantrum. I don't disagree with Nancy Pelosi. We saw how Jim Jordan was during the impeachment hearings where we now know that there was a lot of information that should have come out that didn't. He also could very well be a material witness. And then having um, Adam Kissinger come out after being asked to sit on the committee by um, Speaker Pelosi and saying, I humbly accept it, and also kind of carrying that narrative. I think there is a little bit of strategy here of Yeah, you're going to hear that from the Democrats. Obviously, they're frustrated. Let's let some of these players act and play and do their own thing. Um, And if they're able to give us legitimacy, if they're able to speak and say, yeah, I I think there were plenty of opportunities for my Republican colleagues to be here, that does more work for them.
0: Yeah. I just think I just feel like, like, yeah, if you follow major Democrats and whatnot, like you're going to hear their message and whatnot on this, but. I think what's frustrating to me is I feel like, like normal average people in this country c- country do not follow, yes. <laughs> maybe they either
1: side. They aren't like us.
0: Yeah. And so like I want to be able to re- read a news headline that I automatically don't see as, oh, bad for Democrats. Hmm. And I think that's where my frustration is with this. But I do agree. I, I applaud Nancy Pelosi with her decision to do this because I
1: mean Jim what Jordan else? is trash. Like, why would, why They would were you? all trash. Also, Nancy Pelosi made very clear at the start that this was a possibility because of how it was passed. If she chose, she could. And she called on McCarthy to put part, yeah. to put partisanship aside and to make a judgment that was best for the country, not make a judgment that was best for TV. Mm-hmm. And that's what he did. And, uh, there was no surprise on either side when Nancy Pelosi really did what she said she was going to do. McCarthy had a statement out while she was still talking. Clearly, he saw this coming. Clearly, he knew what he was doing. So um, that's yeah. I don't have frustration about it. I just I think we we just need to own that. We I just need to own that the the conservative party that. Once existed, the hope of just the party that cared about limited government doesn't doesn't exist anymore. Yeah. Meanwhile, a special election is pitting prominent Republicans against Trump in
0: Texas, kind so of around the Dallas area. In a special election, Trump and Ted Cruz has endorsed candidate Susan Wright. But former Governor Rick Perry and a few other Republican names in Texas have endorsed candidate Jake Elzey. As it stands, Elsie has outspent right by nearly $600,000. Elsie has also drawn some support from Democrats in the state. Mm-hmm. Terrell, the media narrative around this special election will probably be the same for the next few elections, a test for Trump's impact slash influence on the party and voters. Do you think this is an accurate narrative? And do you think Trump will have some real influence on the outcomes of many special elections in Republican primaries to come? Yes.
1: <laughs> Do I think it's a real narrative? No. Do I think he'll have influence? Yes. Um, if he has influence, then doesn't that mean that the narrative is real? No. <laughs> Let me explain. <laughs> to explain, to Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> I think the narrative is only real because you have people like Ted Cruz who sees his only chance of being president running straight through Mar a Lago. Yeah. Um, I think the narrative is only as real as. You see, Greg, it's only it's only as real as these certain players acting as if Trump matters. If this narrative was real, Trump would still be president. The Republicans would have won more seats. They wouldn't have lost the Senate for the first time. And I've lost track how many years at this point. What? Obama was president for eight years. So they had the Senate for six. Um if that narrative was real, if he really matters that much and is really the energizer for his party, he wouldn't have been a one term president. They said the same exact thing about Obama, like him picking less progressive individuals during midterms and all these pieces. And you saw how the Democrats lost. Um, it wasn't because people didn't like Obama's policies and pieces. His narrative was still there. Hence the reason he won a second term. It was because his name wasn't on the ticket. Donald Trump's name was on the ticket and he still get handedly whooped. And that's why it doesn't matter. It is very frustrating, however, that um, in a state like Texas where you don't need these type of battles because all that's going to do is pull out the worst of the worst for both candidates and really set the stage for an area that Democrats have been competitive in for them to potentially um, become contenders it is very unfortunate for the Republican party that they have to deal with this because no one has the goal to step up and tell Trump, this isn't your fight anymore.
0: You know, I have just formed an idea that is a take in my head and my take on a lot of that. I know my take on this is that the Republican party is kind of like global warming. And let me tell you how, how that is for years. Global warming has becoming worse and worse and worse. Same with the Republican Party in mm-hmm. terms of going kind of towards what Trump was. But humans for global warming, just as Trump does for the Republican Party, has really sped up that process. And now the Republican <laughs> Party is there or farther away in that direction that Trump sped up the process to. And whether Trump has a little bit of influence or not, the Republican Party is kind of their own thing and they don't need to listen to him because they're already there or worse.
1: So, what you're saying is Trump as president was COVID-19, former President Trump is the Delta variant. (laughs) (laughs) No, I I think that's an accurate depiction. I I think right before I came here, um, I was having a conversation with one of my colleagues about my disbelief that I am living through this current era of American history and human history at large. (laughs) And I've said that a lot. But... I would love to sit back and look at certain points in history and look at certain times again, specifically during the tea party point and recognize where the breakdown really happened. Because I agree with you. I think we were on this path for a long time when, Mm -hmm. when the tea party rose, not for any ideological reasons, purely to stop a president from doing anything and, um, an established party with a platform and ideas and reasons to exist adopted them as a part of their caucus and then gave them leadership positions and let them set narratives, obviously you're going to end up in some of this muck that you're in. But I I also think and felt that it had to just be a short term thing. Like once Obama wasn't president, they lost their steam, they would die. And it somehow or another, not somehow or another, they did it because he was black. They allowed that to become their their idea and their guiding. And now we're having this very conversation (laughs) like it's all about culture now. Everything that the Republican Party sits on, uh, Texas just passed or is passing one of the strictest abortion bills Mm -hmm. in all of the country that limit women from getting abortions after six weeks before many women know that they're even pregnant just because there's some detection of a fetal heartbeat. We're having these arguments about critical race theory, Ben and Jerry's, all of these spaces and places and things, all because we had our first black president. So one last thing, Um,
0: we're going to talk about the uh, very, very partisan Arizona election audit in Maricopa County, which was made possible by the outrageously false claims from Trump and his supporters that his election loss was not legitimate, could cost around $9 million for the state. The cybersecurity firm, which I'm not really sure is really qualified to even be called that, the Cyber Ninjas, has claimed it cannot trust the voting machines in Maricopa County and the internet routers and has told the county they will have to replace all of them, which will cost around $9 million. The partisan firm claims it cannot confirm that the voting machines were not infected with malicious software for the election. But of course, they can't tell us that the machines were actually infected at all either. So we know that this is all a sham, but Terrell, what do you think is the consequences for letting this audit continue to go on?
1: Well, are the are they still doing the audit in what Montana? Yes. Yeah, or something in a Wyoming? weird cabin in the middle of the woods. Yeah, in the middle of nowhere. That is just some it's like a horror movie okay. cabin in the woods. It was a good movie, though. <laughs> it was a good movie. It like made fun of horror in a great way, but it's also fun. like showed horror in a great way. I loved it. Um. Yeah, no, I just, I don't. <laughs> it just adds to the crazy shit that their party is doing and letting yeah, well, happen and fostering. Ugh. There is a actual governmental document that proved the 2016 election was hacked and we haven't, we didn't do anything about it at all. Yeah. There was a special counsel who said in this specific precinct in Florida, we can prove that there was a spread of um, malware that was put in. We can't confirm or deny that anything went wrong. We feel, conf- yeah. we feel confident that, um, because I don't want this to become a conspiracy theory that people run off with. They felt confident that uh, the malware wasn't activated, so it didn't cause anything or change any um, results. But what they did highlight is the same machine that had that malware was in several states that a particular person won, that gave them the White House. One of them being Michigan, one of them being in um, Kent County, actually, one of my former counties. So it, I'm just going to quote Joe Biden here. I think it was Joe. I'm just going to quote everyone at this point. There has never been a more secure election in American history than the election of 2020. Not even because of the election, but because it's been certified 60 times. 60 different times, yes, individuals have said, these results are valid. And we survived an insurrection to prove that. So I just, I don't care. I just, I'm tired of the narrative and the need to feel like, well, you have to get rid of all of these. When in Pennsylvania, uh, last week, I think, news came out that they actually have to get rid of all of their voting machines. Well, not all of them, but one county have to get rid of their voting machines because they are so out of date that their tallying can sometimes be off by greater than the error margin than they allow. That story matters. That is a conversation that we should be having. Not a bunch of dumb Republicans who are mad that the guy who told the most famous senator from Arizona that he wasn't a war hero, that he was a son of a bitch, lost his state. Of course he fucking lost the state. Like, what? Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I...
0: You know, with all this stuff, I just like, I think that my kind of thing that I take away from like all of this, especially in um, the insurrection in some of the culture wars, is that I want to see Democrats like going out there and really taking back the narrative and winning these culture wars. Mm-hmm. Like, Like at first I kind of thought maybe it isn't worth the time, but I think it is because a lot of people are affected by the massive propaganda machine that Republican, the Republican party has in this country with Fox news and whatnot. Yep. And so I, I would really like to see Democrats um, coming out in, in beating Republicans at their own game. I would love for that to happen. And that's kind of my takeaway from
1: all the bullshit going on, on one side of the aisle. Yeah. I just, I'm frustrated that we're out of space right now that Joe Biden has been president for nearly a year. I know I'm, I'm over exaggerating, but if we did the whole yeah, 0.5 s- piece, like six months. it would bump up to a year. If like, oh, what, you're trying to round up. Yeah. I'm rounding up. Five? Yeah. I'm rounding up. Wow. It'll be nearly a year. They feel comfortable enough to start sending out inauguration invites and things. So it, it's been almost a year. Um, there's no reason for us to still be here. There's the, the same people who were mad that for, I'm one of them, for multiple months we said not our president, but still allowed them to govern, are now panties in a bunch, crying, feeling uncomfortable that they lost carrying around flags so everyone knows that they voted for some person and no one really cares. So yeah, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. I, I'm i mad that the modern Republican Party is leading astray the rural side of this country to make them think that their problems are with culture, not with the fact that our country has grown and changed and they haven't been invited into the conversation. I'm annoyed that... We have a party that is using this last election that brought a lot of people hope as a war cry to make people afraid. It's bullshit. And we'll be right back. And with that, take us on a tangent.
0: All right, Raoul. My tangent isn't a ferocious one this evening it is we've calmed down a lot lately yeah i think we have one kind of centers back around a couple things but i think you're going to talk about one of them so i'm going to focus on one thing and that is a show i've been watching lately called the white lotus on hbo max i know
1: we're an what? advertisement on hbo i've been trying to find a good show on hbo max for so long and i have found nothing so i keep getting mad when other people tell me other other things
0: it's it's new um there's only three episodes limited series it's six episodes one for each day of the week and the show is about um uh basically rich white guests at a that go to a uh, hawaiian resort called the white lotus um for a week and it kind of just follows their lives throughout the week and it's i was looking at twitter last night after watching the third episode and someone on twitter said that it's fascinating it's like watching a panic attack in slow motion. It is so fascinating and it's goofy and it's intriguing enough for me to keep watching. And it's kind of like, there's a lot of great actors in it. And I mean, they played our part quite well. The soundtrack is like both kind of that tropical feel, you know, Mm -hmm, of mm -hmm. a resort, but it's also kind of anxiety inducing and like awkward inducing. I don't know how to explain it. It's a very weird, interesting look between like class and race, um, even gender in a way. There's a lot of different dynamics that are at play in it. On the surface level, it's just a really goofy, weird show. And there's not really any likable character except maybe Na- uh, Natasha Rothwell's character. Name's, her name's Belinda
1: interesting it's
0: i like it i think it's good it's definitely not for everybody but it's 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 chaotic energy in the form of a limited series and i highly recommend it looked
1: like a comedy so it is oh it's It's very weird though okay because i i said i've never heard of the show and then i saw it when i just looked it up um and i remember looking at it i was like this looks like a comedy i don't want a comedy and i moved on something else it's more like a, a tragic comedy so anything Shakespeare rope. Got it. <laughs> Terrell, take us on a tangent. Um, so this one's going to be a shout out to a friend from Idaho, actually. Is it me? No. Oh, fuck. I said friend.
0: I'm just your host. Huh? <laughs> I'm just the guy who edits. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, no, this friend is a school teacher, actually. And, um. They posted something very open and honest about experiences and all that jazz. And somehow, oh, I remember, um, we go back and forth talking about random things. But I posted on my Instagram a just an interesting story that came up. I can't remember the creator who posted it, so I apologize. But um, it was talking about a Native American uh, indigenous person who was um, – at the Olympics and had their shoes stolen right before their track event. Um, they had to go find some and get some replacements and then won five gold medals. This friend responded and said this story and the full story of um, Jesse Owens at the Olympics frustrates me so much. It's, it's very interesting that Olympics come around and we send our best athletes to to capitalize and show like the greatest parts of our nation, but somehow it always tends to show the worst. Um, hmm. And I just really appreciated it and, and, and liked it. And um, we then started talking about the um, Simone Bile, Biles um, situation as I woke up this morning to news that she uh, um, stepped down from competition because of medical issues and mixing that with, the Owen story, it really just resonated of at a point in time, athletes like Simone, Naomi, um, I'll throw LeBron in here and be nice, I guess. Um, Wow. They couldn't do this. They couldn't take a break for mental health or to just not show up because they weren't feeling it. They, they had to be on, not just because they were being forced by the country or, their employer at the time, but also because for people, it, it was important for those individuals to show up in that moment, even at their worst and prove that they can be better than what the narrative was saying. And I know that a lot of um, more radical progressives might not feel this, but it's those types of things that remind me that progress has happened. It There is an opportunity for me to watch the TV screen and see someone who's going through the exact same things I am, maybe not to the same caliber or in the exact same experience, but from a mental health standpoint, understanding where I'm coming from um, and not having to show up, not having to impress their um, other ethnic colleagues because uh, we've we've shifted slightly, not a lot, not enough that it's helpful because it didn't take long before Twitter was calling Simone out and saying that she was there. How could she let down the U S and they only got a silver because she didn't show up. If anything, that should just go to show you how impactful this individual is and how important she is and make you care about her more that her not showing up for one event was a determiner between the U S getting gold and the U S getting silver. And one of her teammates came out and said it very artfully of I'm proud to be her teammate. I'm proud to be standing next to her because without her, we wouldn't have even been here, let alone been in contention for Silver. It's just all of those pieces that um, just got me thinking. If I may jump into our tangent, Terrell.
0: Always. I We were kind of talking about this earlier too, and I just really hate the vilification that going along with our main story, the right-wing propaganda machine um, throws at, at these amazing people. Mm-hmm. I mean, there is nothing controversial about Simone Biles, in my opinion. And I would argue the same for Naomi Osaka. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, Fox News hosts and others in that, kind of inf- or in that kind of sphere of influence, you know, are just making it sound like these are the most evil people in the world. And just kind of, they talk, they talk as if like these athletes are weak and they're not what they are doing today is arguably one of the strongest things that I think we may have seen from athletes in the modern era. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I hope Simone Biles is okay. I am, I am happy that she made the decision that she thought would help herself the most. And I feel the same way about Naomi Osaka. That's not how the fucking right sees it. (laughs) It's like, it's like, can we just not, can we not appreciate and enjoy um, seeing these amazing athletes make choices that um, help themselves a little bit? Like it's not all about us, you know? And I know that's like, that's what I guess, it traditionally was and it's Mm -hmm. about money and stuff like that. But it's like, if, if a large amount of people in the U S like one person athlete or not, and that person is not really politically active, they just kind of, whether it's an actor, an athlete, whoever it may be, Mm -hmm. it seems like the right has to try and ruin that too. And it's like, can you just stop ruining everything? Like, I don't know. What is your deal? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, why can't we just be happy and enjoy watching the amazingness that Simone Biles is or whoever else it may be that you really like, like why do we have to attack everything that's good in this world?
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't disagree.
0: <laughs> and I know, I know like a lot of it's because they're fucking racist uh, because you know, it's, it's, it's mostly
1: black women who are driving this charge. Mm-hmm. And, and I, one thing I did want to add is I appreciate you saying Fox news hosts, not fast Fox- news. Fox News anchors, because I do think that's an important distinction from a linguistic side Mm. that they don't report news. They never have. Well, that's not true. They used to. They don't report news anymore. The people who are on the TV are hosts for an opinion show just like The View. Yeah. So
0: that was kind of the other half of my tangent, which is yours. But yeah, no, I I think we should all just like appreciate that. Like these people are really fucking amazing at what they do and if they need a break for a second that's okay too we're all human
1: yeah don't forget to follow us on instagram at dangerously underscore likely or email us at dangerously likely one word at gmail.com be sure to subscribe wherever you are listening for notifications of our new episodes i'm terrell i'm caleb and we're dangerously likely to see you
0: next week